Hi, all. These are generally conversations between adults after the children have left the table. The language can be spicy, and the subjects can get saucy. So if you're ready, this is the Southern Fork. Unscripted kitchen chats, and also studio chats, with some of the most interesting voices in the culinary South. I'm Stephanie Burt, a food and beverage writer based in Charleston, South Carolina, who travels with her fork to write for a variety of publications, from magazines you might have on your coffee table to the website you love to visit for your favorite recipes. And I'm inviting you to come behind the scenes with me to get to know the people who make this Southern culinary landscape so special. I'm always hungry for the next bite, thirsty for that next sip, and ready for the next conversation. Let's dig in. Southern Fork is sponsored by Duke's Mayonnaise. Duke's is the only mayo in my fridge, and this time of year, it's destined for Cherokee purple tomato sandwiches on lightly toasted bread, cool chicken salad, and even a slather or two on corn cobs before they hit the grill. Many Southern chefs and Southern podcasters swear by Duke's, the secret to good food. This wonderful condiment was created by Eugenia Duke in Greenville, South Carolina, more than 100 years ago. And the recipe hasn't changed. Visit dukesmayo.com for more information, or easier yet, just follow my lead and add it to your grocery list to make sure that your fridge always has a jar at the ready. If you can't believe that a mayonnaise can inspire a cult-like following, then you haven't tried Duke's Mayonnaise. Now, what happens when you reach the top of your profession? For instance, being the editor of Food & Wine magazine, and then you're ready for another act. Listen on. You know, I was probably one of those people who, at one time, just assumed that Food & Wine's former editor extraordinaire, Dana Cowan, was a dash of Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada, mixed with someone who would never, ever stand over the sink to eat a ripe tomato sandwich. Boy, was I so wrong. That was before I got to know her through Fab Charleston, a women's conference focused on education and inspiration for the hospitality industry. Dana was open, engaged, she laughed easily, and basically is exactly the sort of person I'd love to have dinner with. And she's returned to the conference every year since, getting to know those of us who do as well. You, of course, can hear her on Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. But this week, I get the distinct honor to ask her the questions. And she illustrates how a blend of curiosity, focus, and having a happiness intention can keep you afloat, even when you're floating away from a dream job to your next calling. Well, it's a distinct pleasure to welcome you to the Southern Fork today. I'm very happy to be on the fork. 
<laughs> well, as usual today, we are when I am in hometown uh, Charleston, South Carolina. We are in the Ohm Radio station here with uh, esteemed engineer James Frolio, and we have um, a couple other people sitting in today to um, chat and observe and hopefully have some fun. So you are here, and I am so thankful. What is this, your third year at FAB? It's my third year, yep. Why do you love it so much? I love the collection of women who gathers in Charleston to celebrate each other, to learn from each other, and to have a lot of fun. It is, I go to a lot of conferences. It is one of the best that I have ever been to. And that's why I keep coming back. Well, great. We love that endorsement. I'm sure Randy's going to um, frame that um, <laughs> over her office. The founder. Randy is exceptional. She's done this conference with so much heart and everyone feels it who comes. That is it's very so true. personal and she's so accessible and she's created something very special. It's that feeling of actually like coming together and having a community and having a connection. I'm going to guess that that is one of the reasons why you had such a long tenure at Food and Wine Magazine, because you were building and connecting. Food and Wine Magazine was an incredible opportunity. I was there for 21 years, which I love saying it. I just say 21, 21, 21, because it's just such a long time. And it also felt like at the blink of an eye, it, it felt so short. And yes, I had an extraordinary team at Food and Wine. And some of that team was with me for uh all 21 years. Tini Ulaki, who's the exceptional um, executive food editor, was there when I got there. Pam Kaufman, who was the Tino's executive food. Pam was um, the executive editor. Marilyn Ward, who was the managing editor. They, The three of them were there when I got there, and they were there when I left. And that is so rare in publishing and magazine publishing. I mean, most of the time, it's a rotating door. What did you really take from that experience as far as being able to work with three people for 21 years? They were exceptional at what they did. I was really grateful for it. In the case of Tina, uh, there is no recipe that left um, our computers without her looking at it. So that meant to, for anything, it could be for an event, for a book, for digital, for uh, the magazine for any ancillary products. I trusted her so much that if Tina said that the recipe worked, it worked. I was just so grateful for that expertise. Um, Mary Ellen Ward, who was the managing editor, was um, sort of my work wife. And in the way that hopefully husband and, so and wives share responsibilities and do separate things. Like in my mm -hmm. house, my husband's amazing at the laundry and I'm, you know, better at making doctor's appointments for the kids, that type of thing. Mary Ellen took care of uh, people, production and money. And so I never had to think about money. So wonderful. Ever. So wonderful. Um, I mean, I said yes and no to budgets, but she mm -hmm. really worked everything through and she worried about the production and she was so cautious about every single thing. It's extraordinary. And uh, the, the same thing with Pam Kaufman, who when I got there had a, a much sort of smaller job. She was working on a column and she rose up through the ranks because her tone and her voice was so great. So just recognizing people's talents, giving them the runway to do what they do well and get out of their way and just be grateful. Uh, yes, yes. And then 
you had this space to imagine a new chapter for yourself that is an individual, independent moment, reserved from collaboration for a moment. How did you begin to imagine the next step? Because now you're celebrating 100 episodes of Speaking Broadly. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Imagining what to do after leaving Food & Wine was actually very hard. The hardest thing about having a fantastic job is that you can never see yourself leaving. And then after a certain amount of time, I was antsy. I wanted to do something else. I started having conversations with people. I wrote a book hoping that the book was going to be the gateway to the next thing. And I just, I worked on what I was going to do next the same way I would work on putting together an issue, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about like, what are the poss- what are the possibilities? And then what can I choose from among the possibilities? Right. And it, that took a really long time. And I, I left for a job that, um, didn't work out at all. It was a very bad match and it was a very hard time at the job, but leaving the second one was a breeze because I was like, <laughs> oh, I left the really big job that I loved. Now I can do anything. So there's a superpower in realizing that change is disruptive, but it's not, um, it's not catastrophic. <laughs> you know, it's right. not like not something terrible won't happen to you. And so after, um, freeing myself from the the bad job, I was like, I can do anything. Really, I felt so free, mm-hmm. and I began to do a lot of different things. So I traveled speaking, um, and I created this podcast called Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network, and I began to do some consulting, and I looked back at the things that I used to love doing that I had put on hold, like writing. I, I, When I was growing up, all I wanted to do was write, and I, That's what happens, and right? I, and I came <laughs> we back. We were just talking about that. It gets you, if you actually move up the ranks as writing, you you don't get to write anymore. No, I wrote. You know, I wrote twenty one years of editors' letters, right. and that is not <laughs> that's not the type of writing that I was sort of hoping for and aiming for. You know, in my eight year old self. So all of these ideas were burbling, and I wanted to explore all of them, and a few of them stuck. And so speaking broadly is one of those things that I just love to do. And of course, there's a tremendous intersection between speaking broadly and fab, because fab celebrates women. And speaking broadly, I interview only women in the hospitality space on their journey um, to success. And so in a way, the whole thing's been very meta for me, because as I've been trying to narrow things down, figure things out, I've had the opportunity to interview extraordinary women who have figured it out, at least to some degree. And you've just explained the Southern Fork. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, as I'm going, I don't know what to do with my life. Talk to me about what you're doing with yours. And you get pearls of wisdom out of every interview, correct? Every single one. I leave feeling just like a little taller Mm -hmm. and a little more open and a little easier. You know, it's a little easier to breathe. And at Fab, it's the same thing. I was on stage moderating uh, a panel with Crystal Mack, uh, who's a food artist, and Jen Lewis, who's a chef, and um, Chidi Kumar, uh, who's also a chef. And has and, just been on the Southern Fork. Oh, she's amazing. So has Randy, uh, and so has Kat Kinsman now oh, Kat's at Food & Wine. So. Yeah, Kat's yeah. spectacular. Um, and Melanie Tapp from 21C. And 
all of them have gone through these incredible transformations. And at the end, they found a way to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And what they gave up along the way is what's so inspiring. You know, they, they gave up, um, accolades. They gave up an entire image of themselves that had been built over time to just crack through that. And the real them popped out as a whole new full-sized person that they got right. to explore. And again, just even on that stage, talking to those people, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just, it's wonderful to, to hear the stories. So I actually, um, having done these two years of exploration and conversation, have emerged with the next act, which is called The Broadleys. So there's Speaking Broadly, which is, um, of course, the podcast I just described. But there's so many other ways in which I like to engage with creative women and help them uh, sort of release and find the intuition within themselves to have confidence and go forward and do what they want to do. So one way I'm doing that is through, it's really, I call it career psychic, but a, a tamer word is coaching. So I'm coaching broadly. Women come to me and in an hour and a half, I can tell them what they should do with their life. And I really, I love it. Um, it coaching is sort of sustained narrative and having people figured out for themselves. But this psychic, uh, intuition is, telling people, I just tell them, like, after a conversation, this is what you should do. This is what I see. And it may be just a vision that helps you reshape the vision you have with yourself or develop along the way. So that's been so much fun to do. And then Giving Broadly, which is um, creating scholarships to help women rise, and Gathering Broadly, which is events where we bring women together to have intimate conversations over amazing food. And it's all to help women find that person inside themselves and have it walk out and speak with a really loud voice. Well, I've I've got chills and want all of those things. I'm going to be after the show going, okay, how, how do I do this? Like, how can I get in this? It's blossomed because one led to another. And then you said, oh, what's next? So you're sitting in that space and not being frantic. No, of I, I, of like you have to, you know, fear makes us frantic to decide quickly. I was pretty patient. I also had the luxury of some fantastic consulting gigs um, alongside, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed them. So I work with Dig In, which is a um, farm-focused vegetable-forward concept. We're saving the world one vegetable at a time, and I, I love the team. I love the mission. I love the work. And so that gave me a space to be calm and to mm -hmm. be just sort of, you know, open my mind. And as happens, the Broadleys all came together sitting on a subway. You know, you're sitting on the subway mm -hmm. and your connection is bad. So the book you thought you were going to read didn't just download. Isn't doing it. Yeah. And so you're in that moment and all of a sudden it, it comes to, it comes to you like waves. Yes. And, and then it just feels inevitable. It does. And then, oh, and that's right. And then I will, I've been telling people, oh, I'm doing the Broadleys. And at first there's the, like the raised eyebrow. What is that? Uh, but when I explain, they're like, of course, like, of course, that's what you're doing. Why everybody says, of course, after something you've struggled for for two years. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, if it was, of course, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> yes. But somebody let me know what's yeah. up. Right. For sure. Now I have to ask you, 
as somebody that is in the culinary realm and and commenting on it, the cultural artifact that is food, you're not ever really just eating freely. You're eating kind of for work, even if, you, you know, people are like, how do you turn off your job? Well, you don't. I eat every you know, a few hours and you're <laughs> thinking about it. You're either thinking about cooking, you know, and, and food and wine did both the cooking aspect and the recipe aspect and also the restaurant and, and personality aspect of that away from that space. And then away into this new space, what have you learned about your eating habits and your, and your cooking? I heard you say that, you know, you didn't grow up in a cooking household. And so you wanted to be around that. And New York's a great place to be there for that. But so once I left food and wine, I was still ravenous for new food experiences. I, it just never has stopped. It is inside of me. This idea of food is exciting. Mm -hmm. Food is an adventure. Food is something that you want to like chase down and taste when someone opens something new. None of that not a scintilla of that has dulled. And the food scene has, in a way, gotten so much more interesting because there's so much more cooking from places around the world that I've never eaten. And I'm mm -hmm. chasing those flavors and those experiences and learning about those cultures through food um, and traveling, you know, to farther reaches in order to do that. And, and so every day I feel like I'm learning through food that is part of me. When I was at, at Food & Wine, I drank very little, which is funny because we had um, the opportunity to have extraordinary wine. My office was back-to-back -back with the wine room for 20 years until we moved, and then it was like a few feet further away. <laughs> uh, but um, I, you know, I'm a lightweight, and I just never wanted to drink too much in an event. And I'm not saying I would drink too much now, but I have drunk so much more since I left Food and Wine than I did when I was there. And so I've been um, indoctrinated into the the pleasures of like a full glass of wine, uh, which I very much enjoyed. And it's so much easier to understand wine or any beverage when you have it more frequently. So that's been a total pleasure. Mm -hmm. My cooking has gotten better, which is so surprising to me because I wrote a whole book about how I don't cook and wanted to learn to cook. And at the end of doing the book, which is called Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen, my conclusion was the reason I was a bad cook was that I was unfocused. That if I could just focus and not have the phone and not, mm -hmm. like, you know, be distracted by my kids or what else, you know, work, calls, blah, 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 I'd be a great cook. But actually... That's true. But actually beyond <laughs> that being true, um, what I've, what I've realized is I was very timid with seasoning. I was timid with heat. I was just timid because I didn't want it to go wrong. I felt an enormous amount of pressure that was completely internal. I mean, there was, the Food Network was never in my kitchen filming me. Let's just say that. No <laughs> one cared. And, and yet, after, it was that fear of failure, after, right? No, I just feared the ingredients, fear of the whole thing. I mean, I just I, – I was actually not so fearful. I just really wanted to be good. And mm -hmm. so I like wanted to do everything right. Right. And I wanted to do the right amount. And I, and I was trusting the recipe a lot. And now I am uh, just so much more fierce. Like that thing is going to sear and I am <laughs> going to like triple the – you know, triple the herbs. And so the food just has so much more flavor mm -hmm. and so much 
um, so much more gusto and it makes it much more fun to cook. It does. Because at the end, I'm like, that's really good. Yes. So I'm cooking more and um, I'm happier about it. That's great. That That's great. I recently had the opportunity to interview Julia Tertian about her book for uh, Small Victories for Savoir's Cookbook Club. And we talked a lot about Small Victories. I mean, that's her book is based on that. And Julia's I've a rock cooked star. a couple recipes and I had that experience that you did. I was like, I'm going to substitute mint here because I have a lot of mint and I don't have that. And I, I'm just here. I want to do this. And then it came out well. And I thought, I'm amazing. <laughs> That's great. I mean, the, the, a recipe is meant to be a set of su- suggestions, exactly. right? And, and good recipes, you should be able to swap in, out, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless, of course, it's baking or something super precise. So, um, yeah, it's been very freeing. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I've really thought a lot about the idea that I have an open palate, like I'll try something. But I feel like we're so used, we're so comfortable that trying something that we don't prefer is just gotten to be too much. So I hear people say, I'm scared of trying. Ooh, I don't know. Have you ever had that before? I mean, you know, what people, they probably don't do that around you, Dana, because <laughs> you don't see that very often. But how do you counteract that? I don't see it that often. I do have some friends who are, believe it or not, who aren't in the food world at all. I have lots of friends, actually, who aren't in the food world at all. And I'm astonished by the way that they eat. I'm astonished by their reticence to eat more than a salad. I'm astonished by how little they eat. I mean, I just, I don't understand it. Uh, it's a completely different lifestyle. And some of those people, they do not want to try anything. They want to stay in their zone. And for them, food is fuel. And they say that to me and they say it knowingly. And they're like, yeah, like food is fuel, Dana. Exactly. And I know you're (laughs) going to hate me for it, but that's what I think. So hate me if you will, but like, I just don't care. And I do, I mean, I do care. I think that's such a unfortunate denial of pleasure and understanding the world. Uh, so it really makes me pause. I, I have a very hard time with people who don't have any appreciation of what they eat, even if they're fueling up. Can you have an appreciation of the banana smoothie and the matcha? Like, I don't yeah, know. Why not? I can. I mean, I had a, I drink a banana smoothie every morning, but I love it. And I think I'm being so good to myself and I call it hedging my bets for the rest of the day. <laughs> because did you have for, one this morning? I did. Of course. Banana, blueberry and spinach. It's my classic go-to every morning. And yeah, hedge my bets because then all bets are off. Once I get out in the world, I'm going to try and eat. And But I know I've gotten fruits and vegetables in the system for the day. So. That's a good plan. I do ask myself that question, like what would set me on a good track? Because the things that I'm naturally attracted to, they're often fried yes. or dairy or heavy or, fla- you know, pizza, cheese, uh, fried chicken. Those are my three favorites. Fried chicken is my favorite food. Yes. And then a little tip for us, because this is something that um, you are known in the business for. And I think e- even if people are not in the food world, they would love to hear this. You're known for remembering people very well, like their names, who they are. You remembered me. You, you, how do you do that? Okay. That is false. I, um, I 
have a terrible, 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 terrible – I we don't have enough time for me to say enough terrible <laughs> uh, memory um, for people and faces. And every trick I've tried, I failed at. I can tell you what people have told me, but – they have not. <clears throat> they have not yet worked for me. So what I am personally waiting for is the um, either the permanent assistant over my shoulder, who's like yes. whispering in my ear. That seems uh, unlikely to happen. Well, Meryl Streep had it. She she certainly did. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, or you know, it, a chip implanted in each human, and my eyes can read your eyes, and your eyes are going to give me your name, your address, mm-hmm. and your phone number. <laughs> that would really help me. But nothing short of that is a tip that I can give you that, that works. Well, maybe it's that you're interested in having something work. I am very interested. Because <laughs> you do have, like, I have seen you move about the world. I have also said, asked people about you, and they said, oh, she's so nice. She remembered my name. So... It, it it seems something is working. Maybe it's just the interest. Yes. And and maybe you just got lucky in the people you asked. <laughs> maybe I did. But well, I actually, I have um, among the things that I'm working on that I'm writing is the anti-memoir memoir. And it's a memoir about not being able to remember because there's, there's things that I just don't remember that I want to remember. And of course, mm-hmm. I do remember some things. But that notion of what is the meaning of memory? And if you don't remember, what is the meaning of life? And so it's actually very, um, I mean, I'm not saying what I'm writing is profound, but that notion of the importance of memory and what happens if you don't remember what happened today. Does right. that matter? Does it not matter? If you remember your family and your past, does it matter? Does it not matter? Passing things on. Um, if you remember something differently from the most significant person in your life. So let's say, um, Let's say I remember, you know, having dinner with my husband um, under the stars in Sardinia. And he doesn't remember that at all. But he remembers going to the baseball game. And I don't remember that at all. Like, are we even in the same relationship? Right. What does that right. mean? So I think that memory is a really uh, fascinating topic. And collective memory. And there are cultural collective memories. There's a lot. It's a deep dive right there. I felt a little psychic, I guess, asking (laughs) that question. It really added to to the depth. So, well, you've already told us your favorite foods, but you are very enthusiastic and excited in uh, moving about and living in the world. So what makes you hungry? Well, there's so many types of hunger, as there's so many types of memory. Um, I think I'm characterologically built to be hungry for everything that life has to offer that's new. So that means I travel all the time and I feed the hunger. The thing about hunger, I think, is that if you feed it and feed it and feed it, you remain hungry. If you starve your hunger, it dies and you're not hungry anymore. So I search out, as I was saying earlier, but a a new food like that will stimulate my mind and uh, it gets me thinking and keeps me like awake and alive. And if I woke up and I just like, I, you know what, I'm on a diet. Like I am never on an information diet. Mm-hmm. I am never on an adventure diet. I'm always hungry. Love that. I'm taking that. That's my, that's my motto now. Um, what is one aspect of your job that you've created for yourself that says something or works really well as a puzzle piece with your personality. I love people and I'm really curious and I love the excuse to ask the deeper questions because 
in a casual conversation, and I do realize this about myself, if you're sitting, like, just having coffee with me, I'm still going to ask you those questions. Yeah, me too. And everyone knows this. And it can be a little... It's like, whoa, hey, hey, man, we're just trying to chill here. Exactly. It's a little aggressive. It can be. Like, I want to get to whatever is inside. So um, speaking broadly really allows me the pleasure of going deeper. But more importantly, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm doing it to help someone perhaps understand themselves, but I'm doing speaking broadly because there's an audience that wants to hear those lessons. I want to hear them because I'm searching for me, but I'm also searching for, you know, thousands of people who are searching every day. And so I'm, I feel lucky that the thing that motivates me, which is curiosity and sort of getting answers about the human condition also is something that can help other people address their own conditions in life that they feel like they don't exactly have control over. Love it. What keeps you up at night? Uh, it seems well, you're pretty energetic, so you probably sleep pretty well. I do. Actually, I sleep <laughs> very well. The only the thing that keeps me up at night is if I drink coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. I, the other day I had coffee at five o'clock. I'm like, that's fine. I mean, seven hours, coffee gets out of your system. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I'm like, what is going on here? Oh, but I mean, that is a, that's true. It's, a, it's the true answer and it's, it's the answer for, for the moment. But I will say for the, for the few years, and now it's actually more than a few years because at food and wine, I had wanted to leave, you know, so much before I actually left. So what kept me up at night then and for, different periods of time over the last few years is not knowing that thing that was going to resonate and give me purpose. And that feeling of not understanding and being in the dark, like it is dark, you're sleeping, your (laughs) brain is blank, but working really hard. And it's like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube puzzle in the dark when you right. don't know the colors right. and you're turning it and turning it and you just don't know when the thing's going to click. That, um, it didn't keep me up at night, but it made me unhappy waking up yes. until I dressed like, what's the best way to wake up? And then figuring out a way to wake up happy, even if like you just spent your time in the night with your brain working on that Rubik's Cube in the dark. That's what my banana smoothie is for. It's like Everyone's got that anchor, and I have coffee, contemplation, banana smoothie to start my day. Um, to, to even though I have many Rubik's cubes at night, I you know I I, um, I smile before I wake up. I, I smile to myself, and I'm like this this makes me happy. Just smiling makes me happy, and I think about all the good things I planted in my day because every day I plant good things along the way, and I think about all of the things that. I'm really grateful for that aren't in the day. And I may, I'm quite intentional about having things every day that are uh, satisfying, even if for chunks of time, the larger satisfactions eluded me. Love it. Last meal. I know you're not going to be on death row. <laughs> but if you do land there, I will visit you and I will collect things. I will time travel for you. I will cook whatever I need to cook. I will ask other people to cook and I can go anywhere and do anything. Wow. That's a superpower. I like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing about my last meal is I want to enjoy every 
bite of it, which means I don't want to be gluttonous. Like at first I was thinking, what well, I want, you know, a double stacked flat burger with cheese and I want fried chicken and I want like I want to experience one last time one of every single thing I've ever loved in my life. And then I realized that'd be so unsatisfying. You just get one bite of it and you have to put the rest of it away or you're really full and then you die um, feeling overstuffed. So I think that I would actually have an incredibly simple meal. I would have um, a cheese souffle, a frise salad with lardons, and a beautiful glass of Chablis. And that'd be good. Elegance. I would eat all of that right now. But... On that note, if people want to learn more about Speaking Broadly and Fab and Dana Cowan and all of the Broadleys that she is building and bringing into the world, and that's a lot of alliteration, <laughs> you can go to thesouthernfork.com. I'm going to have links there as well as a few images to spur your interest. Um, if you like what you hear, the best thing is to keep the conversation going and tell someone. I'd love to bring these conversations to you. This woman was speaking the gospel today, exactly how I feel about the opportunity to sit in front of the mic and how it gives me excuses to ask questions beyond what you eaten. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming today. Thanks so much for asking me to join you. Hey, and welcome to a summertime edition of Talking With My Mouthful. I was organizing some clips this week. Um, clips are kind of the writerly term for the articles that um, I've had published. And most of the time these days, clips are not PDFs, but they're links online. Because even if it was published in print, it's also published online. So I was really just organizing some links. And I clicked on one popping into an article that I wrote in 2016 for Food Republic. And it was on kind of the culture and the rise of soft serve ice cream. It was called the enduring allure of soft serve ice cream. I loved researching that article. Actually got ice cream in the mail at one point. Um, not soft serve, but it was still delicious. And I loved researching about the rise of soft serve and the machine used for it. And this idea of really just going down like a rabbit hole and really understanding culturally what this little totem, which is basically a cultural totem, that's what food can be like iconic foods like that can be um, what it kind of means, and it was very much associated with post-war America and Route 66 and the democratization of food and the rise of fast food. And of course, there's a lot of soft serve and fast food. And I remember as a kid, soft serve at the Golden Corral Buffet. I didn't really care about the buffet. I just lived for being able to do the soft serve and be able to put whatever toppings I wanted on there. So I'm going to put this article up on the Southern Fork Facebook page. I can't get the picture to load right this second, but I'm going to go ahead and post it. So if you don't follow Southern Fork Podcast on Facebook, if you are on that social media, please do so because I usually post little fun things at least a few times a week. I always post new episodes there. Sometimes I do contests. I need to get back on that. I've got some stuff to give away. I just haven't done it. 
da, da, da. But anyway, check out that article. Um, it was a lot of fun, especially if you like reading about ice cream or you like thinking about soft serve ice cream. It's a little just delicious treat for your day. So thanks for listening and I will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to The Southern Fork. I can't wait to bring you more culinary conversations, but in the meantime, I have one question. Are you going to eat all that? <laughs>